Today we're going to continue what we have been doing for the last about three months or so, talking about the blood of Jesus. I am sad that it's coming to an end. I think we have a couple of weeks left. But anyways, um, I know God's word is good and whatever we're going to study after that, I know going to be wonderful to us. So we discussed uh, 16 benefits or 16 uh, blessings or powers that the blood of Jesus has. And then last week, uh, we start talking about some other scripture that is in the Bible that talks about the blood of Jesus. It's not really connected, but I'm thinking, let's just go through every single scripture in the Bible that talks about the blood of Jesus. Last week, we spoke about um, sprinkling blood from 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, when Peter said that we have been called, we have uh, been um, elect by the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sent in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit to obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. Amen. And now today we're going to talk about um, speaking blood. Last week sprinkling blood. This week speaking blood. And I have to tell you, I like even when I was back home in Egypt, that scripture was just like I always knew that I would love to preach from that verse. I just didn't know what I'm going to say. So anyways, I'm glad that it's actually coming to pass. So uh, speaking blood, we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 to 25. So here is what the author of Hebrews have uh, said. But you have come to. So let's read it together. You don't have to say it out loud, but let's count together what we have come to that the author of Hebrews is talking about. Number one, to Mount Zion. Number two. To, uh, to the city of and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, number three, and to the myriads of angels, and number four, and to the general assembly and the church of the living of the firstborn. I'm not sure if that's the same thing or two different things. And to the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, number five, and to God, the judge of all, number six. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Number seven. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Number eight. And to the sprinkling blood, which speaks better than Abel. Amen. So that's the last phrase here. We have come to a sprinkling blood that speaks better than Abel. That's what we're going to be focusing about this week. We mentioned this a couple of times before, and let's see if you guys remember, what was the word that was very common in the book of Hebrew, the common theme all over the book of Hebrews? Can somebody help me? It is the word better. Something is better than something. Again, uh, the author of Hebrews wrote that book to... Um, Jewish people who became Christian, and after they became Christian, they wanted to go back to Judaism and the principles of uh, Judaism. So the author of Hebrews wrote that book to them to convince them that the new covenant, Christianity, is far much better than the old covenant. And they don't need to go back because they're going to miss out because it's far much better in the uh, New Testament. And this passage that we were just reading here is part of the argument. He's saying, you know, you have come to better things than what the Israelites, what the nation of Israel used to have in the Old Testament. And he named this, this 
eight things, these eight things that are better now for you and me as a new covenant believers versus the old covenant believers. Amen? So the last one of all these um, blessings that is better in the New Testament, better in the New Covenant, is a sprinkling blood that speaks better than Abel. Amen? Now, what is he talking about here? Um, Let's just read that story from uh, Genesis chapter 4 so we can know exactly uh, as a reference what is the author of Hebrews is talking about here. So from Genesis 4, uh, 3 to 14, you're probably familiar with the story, but I want to read the text because we're going to point out a couple of things in it. Genesis 4, 3 to 14. <clears throat> so Adam, God created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned against God. That's in Genesis chapter 3. And God kicked them out of the garden. That's Genesis chapter 3. Now Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve has two boys. The firstborn is called Cain and the second one is called Abel. And here is where we pick up from uh, Genesis 4, uh, 3 to 14. So it came about in the course of the time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought uh, his firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Now look how God is pursuing him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will, you not, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Verse 8, Cain totally discarded what God was telling him and his call for him to repent. We read in verse 8, Cain told Abel his brother, and then and it came about that they were in the field. This is a very vague uh, wording here, but literally he told his brother kind of, let's go out to the field. That's some, some of the translation has it. Let's go out to the field. And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, again, see God is going back and trying to bring Cain in and just be gracious to him. Where is your brother Abel? Now, John Bevere, which one of the teachers that I absolutely love, said this one time. He's like, how many of you guys know that when God asks a question, he's not looking for information, right? (laughs) Because he's not looking for information. He's just trying to get Cain to talk and confess his sin. And he said, now... Cain is being rejected to God. And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And then God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be... uh, vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. So that is the story. You know what happened. Uh, Cain and Abel offered God at a sacrifice or an offering. Cain brought from the fruit of the ground, but Abel brought an actual lamb or an actual sacrifice from his flock. God accepted Abel's. He didn't accept Cain. Cain got mad, killed his brother, and he refused to, to obey God and repent of that sin. But the interesting part we read in verse 10 is that God is telling um, Cain, the voice, the cry, the screaming, literally the screaming of your brother is crying out to me, right? 
Now, when we move forward in the book of Hebrews, and when we read that in, in chapter 10, that verse that we have come to, a sprinkling blood that speaks better than Abel, is actually vague a little bit in the Greek. It literally goes like this. It literally, word for word, is we have come to sprinkling blood, which is speaking better than Abel. That's exactly word for word translation. And that's why, because it's a little bit vague, the translators, our translators here, try to put some words in that phrase to try to make it make more sense. For example, the New King James said, we have come to a blood of sprinkling that speaks, and instead of better than Abel, it says, speaks better things than that of Abel, i.e. the blood of Abel. NIV ESV said that this speaks better words, the word word here is not in the original, speaks better word than the blood of Abel. So the whole phrase, word than the blood of, that's not in the original. Again, it just simply says, speaks better than Abel. That's what it says. And then NASB tried to stick to the original as much as possible. It says, we have come to a sprinkling blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Again, it inserted the word blood of, but that's not in the original Greek. The Greek is simple. It says, we have come to a sprinkling blood that speaks better than Abel. So because of the vagueness of that phrase, and we're trying to figure out what exactly the author of Hebrews has in mind when he wrote that, some people, some people, some commentators start understanding that phrase as like this. They say that the blood of Jesus speaks better than the blood of the sacrifice of Abel. Okay? Remember in the story, Abel offered God from the flock, right? And he offered him a sacrifice from the flock and there was bloodshed from that sacrifice. And then later on in the story, we see that Abel is dead and his blood is screaming. So literally there is two bloods here in that story, right? For the first one is the blood of the sacrifice and then the blood of Abel. So a lot of comment, some commentators start saying, you know what? It might be that the author of Hebrews is trying to say that the blood of Jesus speaks better than the blood of the sacrifice, not the actual blood of the person Abel, you know? But this is problematic for me. Like, I was just thinking about it. There's so much problems with that translations or that understanding. The first problem is, whenever you want to think about Old Testament sacrifices, Abel is not really the first person that comes to mind, right? Like, if you want to think about the Mosianic um, sacrificial system, it's not Abel, the first one that you would think about as far as Old Testament sacrifices, right? We know that God did a sacrifice before Abel in Genesis chapter 3, and then... The author of Hebrews is very clear. He uses the blood of goats and bulls many times. So if the author of Hebrews want to tell us that the blood of Jesus speaks better than the blood of the Old Testament sacrificial system, he could have simply said the blood of Jesus speaks better than the blood of bulls and goats, right? There is no need to insert Abel here. Number two, the second problem with that understanding is we actually do have a reference in the Old Testament in Genesis 4.10 when the Bible tells us point blank that the blood of Abel was actually crying or speaking or saying something or screaming something. So I, if we're going to go with the translation or understanding that Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 10 here refers to the blood of the sacrifice, that will make it very odd choice from the author of, of Hebrews that he will go with the blood of Abel, which we actually do have a reference to in the Old Testament, that it did speak, and ignore that and say it's probably the blood of the sacrifice. So long story short, I don't think it's the right understanding. 
I think the right understanding of that verse from Hebrews chapter 10 is this. That the blood of Jesus speaks better, more efficiently, more powerfully than Abel. Than the blood of Abel. Amen? That the blood that spoke vengeance to God from Genesis chapter 4 verse 10. Amen? So let's look at that a little bit. What exactly, how exactly the blood of Jesus speaks better? When I thought about that verse... I went beyond then just the message. Because again, in the Greek, it doesn't say it speaks better words. It just says it speaks better. So it says it speaks more efficiently. So that's what we're going to be looking at. And when I, we think about it, there's at least three ways. There's multiple ways, but we're going to focus on three. Three ways that the blood of Jesus speaks more powerfully or better or more efficiently than the blood of Abel. Number one, it speaks a better message. Number two, it speaks of a gracious outcome. And number three, it speaks to both God and man. Amen? Let's try to say this together to make sure you guys follow, follow me. Number one, it speaks a better message. Number two, it speaks of a gracious outcome, better outcome. And number three, it speaks to both God and man. Let's look at these three uh, points here. Number one, it speaks a better message. God told Cain in, in, in Genesis chapter 4 verse 10 that what have you done? The voice of your blood is screaming, is crying to me from the ground. Question, what do you think the blood of Abel was telling God? Any suggestion? Yes, he's like asking for vengeance, right? He's saying... I have been mistreated. I did not do anything wrong. And I was murdered for it. And Cain is the murderer. And God, since you're a holy and a righteous and a just God, you should take vengeance of Cain. And you should murder him back or kill him back or punish him back because he has done something wrong. The blood of, of Abel kept screaming to God. And the word is really loudly screaming, not just speaking. Loudly screaming in God's ear saying, God, do something about it. You can't let this go free. Amen? And that's why right after that we see God coming to Cain and saying, What have you done? The voice of the blood is in my ear. Therefore, I have to punish you. Because the message that the blood of Abel was always screaming in God's ear, in God's holy and righteous ear is this. Take vengeance of the wrongdoing. Amen? And that's, we see examples of that a couple of times in the Bible. For example, Revelation 6, 9 to 11. When the Lamb, look at this, when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar, I saw underneath the altars the souls of those who have been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they have maintained. Verse 10, and they cried out with a loud voice, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging what? Our blood. On those who dwell on the earth. So do you see that? They're asking that the blood will be avenged. They're asking that there should be some sort of punishment. So their blood that was shed innocently and wrongly should be avenged. And that's in so many ways what the blood of Abel was screaming against Cain. It's not a wrong accusation, but the blood was always, the blood of Abel was screaming in God's ear for his justice that he should punish the sinner. Jesus made a reference to that. Matthew 23 to 35, look at this. That upon you, Jesus is pronouncing judgment here. And he says that upon you may come all the righteous 
blood shed, from, shed upon the earth from who? From the blood of righteous Abel until the blood of Zacharias. God is, uh, Jesus is saying here, you'll be punished for the blood of every righteous person that was ever shed on this earth, starting with Abel. Because the blood of Abel was screaming in the ears of God, asking for justice, asking for punishment, and asking that Cain should be punished for what he has done. Amen? Question, is there anything wrong with that? Anything wrong with that? Not at all, right? Can't, does Cain deserve it? He deserved it. <laughs> you know, fair and square. He did wrong. He broke the law of God. He deserved to be punished, right? There's nothing wrong with that accusation. There's nothing wrong with that scream, with that cry in the ears of a holy and righteous God. But look at the blood of Jesus. It speaks better. It speaks far much better than the blood of Abel. You know why? Because when the blood of Jesus speaks in the ears of a holy and righteous God, it doesn't ask for vengeance and punishment on you and me. It asks for grace and mercy that you and I don't deserve. Amen? Look at this. In Luke 23, 33 to 34. Now Jesus is on the cross. And his blood is being shed at that point. But let's read that. When they came to the place called the skull. There they crucified him. And the criminals. One on his right hand and one on the left hand. But Jesus was saying. Father avenge me. Right? What did he say? Forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. The blood of Jesus is crying for forgiveness. Jesus who is hanged on the cross. His blood is being shed. And what he's asking for you and me? Forgiveness. Mercy. Grace. Even though we absolutely don't deserve it. But this is why the blood of Jesus speaks far much better than the blood of Abel. Amen? Let's look at this. Luke 13, 6 and 9. Now, this is a parable that Jesus is telling the, the, the people at that time. And he said, a man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it. And, uh, and it did not, he did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, behold, for how long? For three years I have come looking for fruit on the fig tree without finding any. I mean, I did it all. Three years I waited one year after the other and nothing is happening. I think that's good enough. Actually, that's way then more good enough. But look at this. Cut it down, he still tells the vineyard keeper. Why does it even waste the ground? And he answered and said to him, let it alone, sir, for this year too. For I will dig around it and put in a fertilizer. If it does not bear fruit next year, fine. If it does, fine. If not, then cut it down. And then the vineyard keeper is begging for mercy from the owner in the vineyard and say, I know you have been so patient with that tree. And I know this tree should have produced fruit long time ago. But I'm begging you that you give it one more chance for one more year. I'll try to do something different this year. If it, if it produces fruit, that's fine. If not, then we'll talk about it more next year. But this vineyard keeper is just keep begging for grace and mercy for the fig tree that does not deserve it. Amen? And friends, for the same thing, the blood of Jesus, now Jesus at the very right hand of God as our high priest, and because he continues forever, he's always making intercessions for you and me and for every single dying soul. That every single sinner outside in this world that is sinning against God, Jesus is making forever intercession for them. Amen? Like I sin, and then 
you know, Satan or any other accuser come to God or even God himself because he's a holy and a righteous God. He want to punish that sin. But Jesus said, just be patient with him. Give him one more chance. Let him repent this time. I know he doesn't deserve it, but let's just be patient with him one more time. And Jesus is doing that for every single one of them. His blood is speaking mercy and grace over every single one of us and over every single soul in this world, even the ones who don't know Jesus. Amen? Look, think about the rapists and the people who do the most wicked things of all. God can strike them dead in no time if he wants to, right? But he still waits on them. He still gives them another day to live. You know why? Because there is a blood in heaven that is speaking grace and mercy over them. That is asking and begging God to just hold back for a little bit more. Maybe, maybe they will repent and turn to him. Amen? The blood of Jesus speaks better thing than that of Abel because it speaks grace and mercy instead of vengeance and justice. But number two, the blood of Jesus speaks of a better, a gracious and unmerited outcome. Look at this. In Genesis 4, 9, right after, right after Cain killed Abel. Look at this. Genesis 4, 9. We read these words. Then the Lord said to Cain, after Abel was killed, and his blood was shed, and his blood starts screaming to God. We read these words. Then God spoke to Cain. So the word then in the Bible is a result. Something caused something to happen. And in a way, what the Bible is telling us this. Because of the screams of the blood of Abel, God needed to act. Then God started taking steps to avenge the blood of Abel. And he came to Cain and he said, Cain, what have you done? And Cain said, well, I don't, know where, I don't know where he's able. I'm not his keeper. And God pronounced judgment on him. And he said, now you're even cursed. And because of the screams of the blood of Abel, curse came on Cain, which he rightly deserved, right? We're not arguing that, right? And look at this. I just think about it. When Adam and Eve sinned, God said, now as part of your punishment, you have to work on the ground, and then the ground will produce fruit, and that's how you're going to eat, right? You're going to toil, and you're going to eat from, from the sweat of your eyebrow, right? But after Cain sinned against God, now the punishment is even higher. God is saying, you work now, but it's not even going to yield the fruit that it's supposed to be. So more curse came on Cain. More punishment came on the human race because of sin and because of the cries of the blood of Abel against the injustice and against wickedness. Amen? So the blood of Abel speaks of punishment and the outcome is just severe. But look at the blood of Jesus. Look at just this verse that we were just reading. Let's, let's go back. Read this verse one last time. Gen- uh, Hebrews 12, 24. And to Jesus. Look at this. We have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And what comes after that? A sprinkling blood, which speaks better than that of Abel. You guys remember, we talked about this multiple times. Whenever there was a launching of the covenant on the Old Testament, there was sprinkling of the blood. And the author of Hebrews is saying the exact same thing here. He's saying that we have come to the new covenant that was all we only make available through the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus that speaks of better outcomes. Amen? So what the author of Hebrews is telling us here is this. The results of the cries and the talk and the things that the blood of Jesus is saying to God is that sinners like you and me can enter into a far much better, a far better and newer covenant with God. Amen? So that 
outcome of the speaking of the blood is far much better than than, um, than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel produced judgment and wrath, but the blood of Jesus, when it speaks, it produces new covenant and a new relationship with God. Amen? Look at this. This is just grace in its peak. We talked about this before. We have been talking about 16 powers that we have in the blood of Jesus. 16. All of them is available only to you and me because of the blood. And this is what the outcome of the blood is. That all the blessings, reconciliation, bring, coming near to God, entering into the holy places, and all these blessings that we have been talking about is only come to you and me through that blood that speaks grace and favor over us. Let me just read that verse here in Ephesians 1, 6 to 7. It talks about Jesus. Look at this. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Paul said that this is why God chose us. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Look at this grace. Which he has freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Where? When he died on the cross. Because in him we have redemption. Through his blood the forgiveness of sin and transgressions. And then it says... When Jesus died and shed his blood, and that's how we obtain forgiveness, this is all according to what? The riches of his grace, and this is the part I love, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. What Paul was saying here is this, when the blood of Jesus was shed, and because of that blood, it just speaks so much grace on us, that God was actually able to lavish that grace on us, grace over grace from the fullness of Jesus that we have received because of what the blood is telling God. Even though God is holy and righteous, He's willing to have grace and mercy on us because of what the blood of Jesus is telling Him. Amen? So the blood gives us a better outcome. So it gives us, it has a better message. It has a better outcome. But number three, it speaks to both God and man. Look at this. In, in Genesis 4.10, look what God told Cain. He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother is crying to who? Me. me right? To me from that ground. So the blood of Abel was speaking to, to one person and one person only, right? And who is that person? God, the just and holy God. And that blood was crying to God's justice and said, you have to punish the sinner, right? But let's look at the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus does speak to God, but it also has a better audience. Not better audience, I mean like a wider audience because it speaks to God and speaks to you and me as well, right? Look at this. In, in Hebrews chapter um, uh, 12, it says that we have come to a sprinkling blood that speaks better things than that of Abel. Sprinkling blood. That was mentioned two more times in the book of Hebrews. Okay, The first incident in, in Hebrews 9, when the author of Hebrews is talking about sprinkling the blood to usher into the covenant with God. And then again, in Hebrews 10, when it says that the blood of Jesus can sprinkle our conscience and purify it from, good, from bad deeds, dead deeds, so we can serve the living God. Right? So do you see here that the sprinkling of the blood, the sprinkled blood can work in two ways. It works toward God to usher us into a new covenant. And it works also to us that it calms our conscience from the raging of guilt and shame that we have when we sin against God. And that's how we are able to serve the living God. Amen? The blood of Abel was speaking only to God. But the blood of Jesus speaks to the justice and the righteousness of God and calm it. But also speaks to your guilt, to your, to your conscience, to your guilt and to your shame. And it calms it as well. Amen? So the blood of Jesus speaks better than the blood of Abel because it speaks to God and man, while the blood of Abel speaks only to God. Amen? That's why in Hebrews 10, 
19, we read this. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places, how? By the blood of Jesus. Our conscience is calm. Our guilt is gone. And we have confidence to come into the very throne of God. You know why? Because the blood of Jesus did not just speak to the justice of God. It also spoke to our conscience. And it calmed all our guilt. And now we have confidence that we can always enter into the presence of God. Because of the peace and the mercy and the grace that the blood of Jesus is speaking over each one of us. Amen? The blood of Jesus speaks better than that of Abel. Amen? Because it speaks a better message. It speaks of a better outcome. And it speaks to both God and man, which Abel's blood cannot do. Amen? Let's all come to God in prayer.